working the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Lewerke asked for it and now has it. Lewerke will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Hello and welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, alongside fellow football beat reporters, Zach Serdinick and Aiden Champion, coming to you live for the first time in a year and a half from our studios in Studio H in the basement of Holden Hall on the campus of beautiful Michigan State University. Folks, it feels good to actually be sitting in front of the host mic instead of doing this over Zoom in a Hampton Inn hotel. Or wasn't a Hampton Inn, we stayed at Nindy. And a Holiday Inn Hotel Express at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to be back in person and here in the studio and everything ready to go. I mean, everything about being back on campus is just great. I've been in such a good mood just being outside and like walking to class. Like in a class, it's just been great. Everything. I love it. I just, I'm driving here today. I forgot what it was like to almost hit five people that ride their bikes in the middle of the street. Like that is a sensation that I have not enjoyed or been tasked with in a year and a half. Before the pandemic, when things were normal, you would drive in the middle of the road and you'd have three or four people that don't know what a bike lane is. They just utterly say, nah. Ooh, a green light with a car going 40 miles an hour. Let me cut right in front of the car and hopefully I don't become an organ donor. Yep. Somebody, I was walking to class today and somebody did that in front of a catabus. Um, and uh, they took a risk. Try and get that free tuition. <laughs> yeah, the catabus was turning and they just, at the last second, just kind of bolted in front of the catabus on a bike. And I kind of turned around and I was like, you are bold, sir. Yeah, I guess. That ain't the word I'd describe, but <laughs> go ahead. But that was nothing. Nothing compared to driving through Chicago on, <laughs> what was it, Friday, Friday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So going back Saturday was fine. Right. There, for all of our viewers, this is maybe one of the funniest and stupidest things <laughs> I've ever done, which is really saying something. Driving in the middle of Chicago, and anybody that's ever been to Chicago knows... It's a four or five lane highway everywhere. I'm driving in a straight line and I don't see this giant yellow European <laughs> sausage truck just like pull next to me. And I look over and this guy's in my lane. I'm I, More than anything else, I'm just standing there amazed at the audacity of this guy to cut me off knowing that I am Nathan Stearns. And I'm just sitting there. He proceeds to like, squeeze his way in i blare on my horn but unbeknownst to me the guy have given me the thumbs up sign so i completely just laid on my horn for a solid five seconds at a guy that thought i was a nice human being not my proudest moment it was fun to watch bro. <laughs> yeah yeah uh champion and i in the passenger seat and in the back seat were uh definitely enjoying that <laughs> that was fun well, let's get to some college football talk. I'm sure people didn't 
listen to this just for me to talk about myself for 45 minutes, even though I would be more than happy to create my own podcast where I just sit and talk about random useless things that have absolutely nothing to do with college football, all sports whatsoever. I think we need that. <laughs> Can yeah, we, we do. talk about how great that Florida State-Notre Dame game was? Mackenzie Milton for Heisman, first of all. Like, just as a sports fan, other other than the fact that Joe Tessitore said the term catastrophic knee injury about 85 times, take that out of the equation on a serious note, that is sensational. Milton almost lost his leg, came this close, for all those of you who can't see my two fingers are very close together to express he was really, really close to losing his leg and having it amputated. He had sustained significant artery damage, some blood vessel damage. The bones had come apart. So to see a guy like that come back in, who was, when he was at UCF, was a stud, like borderline Heisman Trophy-esque good. Comes in the first play, throws a 25-yard deep out. Beautiful. This is why we love sports. Other than that, what was you guys' reaction to Brian Kelly saying, maybe all of my players should be executed? I thought it was bizarre. Like, I, I don't get it. And then he goes into the media availability session after and says, well, it was a joke by this coach nobody's ever heard of from the 1970s. Like, Brian, everybody that's in the room either wasn't born or was in diapers. Like, you got to know your audience a little bit better. Yeah, I uh, I was watching that live, and the second I heard it, I, was, I had to do a quick check. What? What did, what did he say? And I didn't. I didn't look at Twitter for like another hour, and then I, sure enough, I saw it later. Everybody was saying the same thing. Like, what did he just say? So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but um, good for Notre Dame though, uh, in terms of their performance. Um, aside from the quote, yeah, that was really interesting. Um, I saw a lot of different takes on it. Some people thought that there was an overreaction after he said it. I don't know where I fall exactly on that. I don't have a hot take on it, but it definitely was something that I'm sure he wishes he hadn't said. Um, just because, as you guys kind of touched on, there was no reason for it. It just kind of was out there random, and it caught everyone off guard because it didn't really just make much sense. Like, you just won the game. Yeah. Like, why is that your first response? Mm-hmm. Probably because you blew an 18-point lead in the second half. Well, yeah, I mean, you but... You didn't finish great, but it was still a very... Like, what? Yeah. Like, what What are you... I thought he... I, I didn't know there was some inspiration. I thought he had just threatened to kill a bunch of kids. <laughs> but other big game of the weekend, Clemson. Oh, my goodness. That was a bleep show. So I'm not going to say what, it, what I really think it was so I don't get fined by the FCC. But Ungalele looked bad, man. He... Just looked out of sync all game with his receivers, had pressure, was dancing around in the pocket, wasn't getting through his progressions, didn't really get through a rhythm. That Georgia defense is for real. Like, that's a defense alone with Kirby Smart that could carry to some things in the SEC this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. DJ Ugalele threw the only touchdown pass of the entire game. Like, the only touchdown of the game. Pick six, but still, came from him. No, I'm joke didn't work. Anyways. Yeah, because I'm uh, the resident idiot on this panel, not you. That's my job. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, Georgia's defense looked legit. They're going to be strong. Um, I don't know. I don't know that they're going to be able to win the SEC because I'm sure we'll talk about Bama later eventually, maybe. I don't know. But either way, Alabama's still legit 
as we saw in their game. But Georgia is really, really solid. And even though they didn't get great play from their offense either. I mean, the only touch that game was 10 to three. The only touchdown scored was a pick six. So is their offense going to be able to carry them at all at any point? Because everyone's off for a bad day. And as good as that defense is, I think they're going to allow more than three points a game this season. So they've got to be able to get some of that offense as well. Yeah, not the most exciting game um, in terms of scoring, but you got to wonder how Clemson comes back from this. Um, And they will. I mean, but man, if you had told me they'd only score three points going into this game, that's just... That's got to be disheartening for Tigers fans. Nothing makes me happier, though, than drinking a giant cup of Dabo Sweeney's tears. Him and Brian Kelly can't stand. Can't stand either one of them. I'm not a big Kirby Smart guy either, but definitely didn't lose too much sleep about Alabama choking. On a serious note, I think everybody feels bad for Ronnie Bell, Michigan, Michigan's wide receiver who hurt himself in the first half of, in that 47-14 win over Western Michigan in Minnesota running back Muhammad, Muhammad Ibrahim. We have it, We don't know for sure what the injuries are. All colleges really say these days is it's a lower leg injury, so something probably either Achilles-wise, ACL-wise, but those are two huge losses for two teams that don't have a lot of proven offensive weapons. And you just don't like to see it because both of those guys, especially Ibrahim, were looking at NFL careers, and they still might be, but they're both going to have a significant road to recovery. And especially this year when last year didn't really count and you didn't have any fans, this was your first normal year of college football and you're out after a quarter. It's just something that you hate to see. Other big thing. That just happened today. I actually, when I was editing the doc, I didn't originally include this. I probably should have put some NIL stuff too, but the Big 12 expansion is imminent, folks. According to multiple reports, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston will be the four newest members of the Big 12 by the end of the week that follows, obviously, the, the departure of Texas and Oklahoma at the end of this year to the SEC. But let's get to some Michigan State football, shall we? I think that's what... We all came here for, and definitely a lot of good things to talk about. Michigan State jumps out to a 21-point lead, coast to a 38-21 win over Northwestern. Biggest thing that I talked about in the postgame show was the rotation, the sheer amount of people that played. When you're putting in 13 offensive linemen and seven or eight linebackers and six wide receivers, you'd maybe expect that if you're winning by 40, but not in a one-possession game in the second half. And I know you weren't there, Zach, and you weren't there, Aiden, but at Tucker's media availability session yesterday, he said he went back and by his count, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 to 24 offensive players that played and 25 to 26 defensive players. Like, that is obscene. Like, that's your entire two-deep roster that got significant playing time. Yeah, and it's not something that we really expected, and some of it were a few different things. I know we're going to touch on him in just a little bit, but I think the biggest surprise to me was Cal Holiday. I did not expect him. I didn't even have him on the two deep when I was doing my prep for that game. He wasn't in the top four, I thought, in terms of linebackers. And yet he started, not only did he start, he played really, really well. And so you had a lot of those guys. And I think that's something that partially comes from us not knowing as much about these guys because last season, 
you didn't really have much access due to COVID. And it's going to be interesting to see, though, if he can continue to rotate those guys in because I feel like he's got to settle on a 22 at some point. Well, Holiday had six tackles. I mean, he was around the ball. And after going back and watching a little bit of the film, I'm not a, a film guru, but I played enough football and I've been around the game long enough to know you know, when a player is good, when a player is not good, you don't have to be some sort of schematics expert to know when a player has it, when a player doesn't. Holiday is not the most athletic kid on the field. He's not the quickest. He's not the flashiest a la Quivaris Crouch, but he's consistently at the right place at the right time. Doesn't always matter how you get to your right spot and coverage, the right run fit, the right gap, but he was always there and he was always around the ball. Like, it seemed every single running play, if he wasn't bringing a guy down, he was a guy in the pile or a guy immediately in the surrounding area. So he's got a nose for the football, and that's what this team needs, is a middle linebacker who can go in and really just settle down that defense and knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I saw a post that somebody put out on Twitter of a clip of Holiday, and I didn't even really remember it that way. I guess from our vantage point, I couldn't really see it, but when they had slowed it down, it was a screen route that Northwestern tried to set up and they were running through. It was blocked all the way through to the safety. Holiday comes up and he pushes the blocker back into the receiver with the ball. And instead of a potentially like a 20 yard gain on a screen pass, it's a three yard gain because he came up and did his job. And that's, I think what we saw from him. What happened to Noah Harvey? Can someone answer me that? Other than Elijah Collins, who I thought going into the game was going to be RB2, maybe RB3, Noah Harvey started, I want to believe, I wanted to say every game at Mike Linebacker last year. He started five games the year before when Joe Bocci was, got hurt and then got kicked out for PED usage, alleged PED usage. But the difference between him and Collins is Collins didn't play last year. Collins doesn't play this year, but Harvey was one of the defense's most consistent players in terms of just being on the field and then we're at Northwestern and you're watching the game and Chase Klein's ahead of him Kravars Crouch is ahead of him Ben Van Sumeren's ahead of him Cal Holiday's ahead of him it's like when did he go from being a starter to being on the three unit like I don't know if you guys have any theories but that was just astounding to me because there's Ben he works hard. That was one of his hallmarks is he's a true Spartan guy, a guy that's going to come in, do his work, is a good captain, knows where to go, and is a really tried and true veteran leader. But I don't know what happened, but he's fallen off the depth chart like a rock. That that was astounding to see, um, especially when you consider, as we were talking about the rotation and just the mixture of transfers that saw the field and uh, the mixture of returners and this is, you know, a redshirt senior, this guy who bleeds green, and we didn't see him. That was that was pretty shocking. So I I don't know. I guess the, the question now is how much will we see of him this year? Well, he was second on the team in tackles last year, 54 career tackles, was third on the team in tackles for loss, 49 tackles in 2019. Noah Harvey's not a bad linebacker. Mm-hmm. This isn't a guy who... A lot of fans watch and say, why is he out on the field? Like, take away his scholarship. You know, fan, fans are always like that. But I've never heard anything bad about Noah Harvey. 
from everything that I've heard, from everything that I've watched, he's a good linebacker. He, uh, he kind of like Cal Holiday, kind of like Ben Van Sumeren. He's not the quickest. He's not the flashiest, but he's always in the right spot. And you need your middle linebacker more than anything else to be a guy that knows the defense inside and out. He needs to know that defense as well as is his defensive coordinator. He needs to be the toughest mentally on the field. He needs to be a leader in some aspect, whether it be vocal, whether it be non-vocal. But something's happened, and I'm really going to be interested to see going forward if he can climb back up the depth chart. But at least from what we saw against Northwestern, he's got a ways to go. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk at least a little bit about Kenneth Walker. 23 carries, 264 yards, four touchdowns. He was sensational. Like, as long as I've been alive, I can count the, which is all 22 years. I know I sound like an old man. You probably listen to thinking I'm 45. But that was a performance that you maybe see once every 10 years at Michigan State. That wasn't just a good performance. That was a performance for the ages. And we saw flashes of this in the spring game. I mean, I think all three of us were kind of anticipating a big year from this guy. But, man, I would not have guessed four touchdowns in his first game as a Spartan. That's crazy. I mean. Well, I mean, to put it in perspective for some of you listening, last season Michigan State's leading rusher was Jordan Simmons. He had 219 yards. Kenneth Walker had 264 yards in that game. Michigan State running backs last season, zero rushing touchdowns. Kenneth Walker had four. The last time that a Spartan running back has rushed for 250-plus yards and four touchdowns, 1971. That's 50 years ago. It was that, uh, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. It was in 71 against Purdue. Yeah. I I, 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 I remember Reed. I don't I don't have the guy's name off the top of my head, but I know exactly who that you're is, talking about. That is the, still the school record uh, for rushing yards in a game. Um, but, was that? Well, and the funniest thing, too, is Michigan State running backs don't have a rushing touchdown through seven games last year. This guy breaks a 75-yard touchdown run the first play from scrimmage it took all of seven seconds to beat the mark from last year in seven games but i just we i think we all thought kenneth walker was going to be good this is a guy who put up approximately roughly 600 yards rushing last year and the year before to be exact is 570 yards both years but last year had 13 rushing touchdowns that was tied for the 10th best mark in the country he has a nose for the end zone, but I think nor against Northwestern, you were starting to see why he has a nose for getting into the end zone. Some of the processes, some of the intangibles for getting those 13 scores. He's shifty. He's smart, but he's not one of those running backs. that's like really skinny and can take it to the house like Jordan Simmons, even though Simmons did put on a little bit of weight. He can run through people. Mm-hmm. I saw a really down. interesting stat. I think it was by PFF. Out of his 264 rushing yards, 206 came after contact. That is insane. He rushed for over 200 yards after being tackled or having some sort of contact with a defender. Like, in terms of keeping the legs moving and just finding a way to get those extra yards, that was a rushing clinic. And I can guarantee you him and William Piegler were pretty dang happy after that game. Yeah, I mean, Walker, there was a play that I think in particular stood out to me in that respect. And it wasn't it wasn't the big play. It wasn't the 75-yard touchdown. It was a, I think it was a third and three. And Walker picks up the first down, gets a six-yard gain, 
Walker was hit by three guys in the backfield. And he turned it into a six-yard gain and a first down. And you saw that throughout the entire team, though. Michigan State seemed like they wanted it more, and they were the more physical team. Connor Hayward, who was really impressive, making a catch on the second drive of that game on third down, refusing to be taken down and getting to that line. I just, first of all, big props to Jay Johnson for finding a role for Connor Hayward. Going into this year, a lot of people, including myself, I think, were where does this guy fit in? Is he still going to be a running back? Because you bring in Kenneth Walker, you bring in Harold Joyner, the four-star from Auburn, who had received uh, a little bit of playing time at Auburn over the last two years. You obviously return Jordan Simmons. You have Elijah Collins, who two years ago ran for 990 yards. It's like, where does he fit in? You brought in Davion Prim. But it wasn't even the catch. It was the blocks on the outside of sealing the edge, and it was just the overall physicality. This is a guy who I've been critical of in the past because it was be frustrating to watch as a broadcaster and as a student of the university when it's third and two, he has the ball, he's 5'11 and probably 225 pounds, and he gets tripped up by a nickelback who's 5'8 and 170 pounds and doesn't get the first down. But you saw a different Connor Hayward than I think we've ever seen in terms of just not only transitioning from a position of strength to a position of weakness, but he looked good. He looked like he had been a tight end there for for years. Granted, some of the vertical set stuff, some of the kickback set stuff wasn't exactly where it needs to be yet, but especially like run blocking wise, I was impressed. His hand usage was good. His pad level was good. And Zach, you talk about Kenneth Walker being able to run through contact. He's what we would call a muscle hamster. And what that means is he gets so low to the ground. This isn't when he gets the ball, he almost just ducks his head and just goes straight ahead. This isn't a guy who's standing straight up, exposing his chest. When you are running back, they teach you to stay compact, to stay low to the ground, because if I'm trying to tackle a guy and my helmet's lower to the ground, I'm going to hit him right in his chest and he's going to go flying, right? He is so low to the ground. It's so hard to, ta- it's so hard to tackle a guy that's so short and compact like that, but is so strong on his lower body. I mean, it it just, I'm excited for Youngstown State to see if he can sort of replicate that. Other guy who we should touch on was Peyton Thorne. Going into the game, I'm going to give Zach a lot of credit. I thought Anthony Russo was going to start. I liked the experience. I liked the winning start at Temple, 16-10 to be exact, including two eight-win seasons in 2018 and 2019 I like the big arm and I just like the fact that I thought when you bring in a guy like Russo who has played at Temple who's played against Memphis and Cincinnati and all these other decent mid-major schools the quarterback room finally gets some talent but Peyton Thorne was impressive the line might not show it 15 to 25 185 yards one touchdown five carries for 28 yards but he did exactly what he needed to do to give Michigan State a chance to win and not put them behind the behind the eight ball as we saw so often from Rocky Lombardi last year. I think that's really where his experience with this program came into play was he played his role. You know, he wasn't he didn't come out going for the big stats, but he got other players in into the mix and that's where you saw um 
Walker's shine. You saw Simmons shine in the backfield a little bit. Um, and, you know, it. he really looked like a veteran out there. And he had a good game, like you said. He, I mean, it, it may not look like, look like it in the box score, but he uh, he did his part. Yeah, Thorne was efficient, and he was able to do things like that. Also, a little bit off topic, but I want to give a shout-out. You mentioned him. Shout-out to the fighting Rocky Lombardis knocking off knocking off Georgia Tech this weekend. Did you guys see that? Northern Illinois. It was the 22 to 21. Yeah. Yeah, it was the two-point conversion, wasn't it? It's yeah, time he expired. Was, he was solid the entire time. I was watching that game, and I was like, this is just hilarious. They go down to Michigan in a couple weeks, um, down to Ann Arbor. But back to Peyton Thorne. He did a really good job, and my thing, you mentioned that I had thought it was going to be Thorne. My biggest thing with Thorne from the beginning was Thorne has that mobility that he can add to his game. And you saw that he didn't do it too much, but he extends the play and he did. He had 42 rushing yards in the first half of that game. And when you have a quarterback that can do that, you saw them implement the read option just a little bit back and forth. It just is another thing that puts the pressure on a defense. Well, it's another thing you have to game plan for. The word that so many people, including myself, use to describe Peyton Thorne is cerebral. What does that mean? I know I'm a walking thesaurus, and anyone who's ever interacted with me knows I have an uncanny vocabulary. I know this isn't the Nathan Stearns bragging hour, but cerebral basically means that a guy is smart, he's intuitive, and he knows exactly what his role is. Too many quarterbacks, I think today especially, would want to be the star of the show. I want to be the guy with 400 passing yards. I want to be the guy with five touchdowns. I want to be the reason that we win the game. I want to have my face in the front end of the newspaper. Thorne's not like that. He's, I can guarantee you, he's just as happy watching Kenneth Walker, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, Trey Mosley, all these other guys, all these other figures get the praise instead of him. Because we come from a time, the last two, three years of Michigan State football, when it was watching your quarterback Give actively hurting you, actively being a reason why you lost. But you did not see him make many boneheaded plays. There was one play in specific, and I I don't remember when it was. I think it was the either the first or second quarter. I know it was in the first half. But I remember Michigan State's driving down toward the south end zone. He gets flushed out of the pocket and throws the ball away. And for someone like me, I love plays like that. I love plays like that because you know why? That's a kid and that's a guy who's beyond his years experience-wise. Who knows? You know what? This play's dead to right. I'm going to give this down to Northwestern and I'm going to live to fight another down. You hear so often from Coach Tucker talking about wanting three things. I think he says it every week. A field goal, a touchdown PAT, or a punt. They played the field position game well and as much a coach peak as it sounds, they played complimentary football. There just wasn't a lot of stupid penalties other than the Jared Horse personal foul in the third quarter. And frankly, that doesn't bother me a whole heck of a lot. But there was there weren't a lot of fumbles. There weren't a lot of blown coverages. Frankly, the those long passes that Hunter Johnson, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, threw to Bryce Kurtz, it wasn't a blown coverage. It was just guys like Ronald Williams and Kalan Gervin getting run right past. I mean, you're in the right spot. It was just Kurtz running right past you. But I was very, very pleased with what I saw on Friday. Yeah, the lack of turnovers for the 
team was huge and that starts with Thorne he had zero interceptions and in this game I mean one or two more turnovers could have really changed this outcome um not saying it necessarily would have gone Northwestern's way but it um you know it would have hurt them and Thorne did a great job at being smart and protecting the ball well, you saw that Northwestern offense get down to the 30-yard line and then just fizzle yeah. out. They were better with it in the second half, but Charlie Kubander misses two field goals. So not not only was it just the offense doing what it had to do, but it was that defense and that sort of bend-but-don't-break mentality. We talk about playing football between the 20s. Michigan State probably lost that battle, but it's that, that final 20-yard window that determines whether you win or you lose so often, and they won that battle resoundingly. Yeah, that's exactly where I was about to go. Ben, but don't break. You'll hear me mention that a lot either on the broadcast or here on SRZ. They have to be able to bend but not break. And also, short-term memory. Michigan State, what impressed me so much was that we didn't see this last year from them. When they gave up a big play, you could tell. And you knew that something bad was coming and they were like, the world's ending. This team in that game, now I'll preface this, it was one game and it's something to watch going forward. But when they gave up a big play, they didn't let it bother them. They dug back in, and they made plays of their own to force Northwestern into tough spots. Charlie Kuvander missed that field goal both times. Both of those were coming off of negative plays. Those field goals were made longer because a third down wildcat direct snap weird play on the first drive for Northwestern that just didn't work, and then a sack by Xavier Henderson. Those two led directly to missed field goals. Those missed field goals might not happen if the defense doesn't lock back in and shut them down. By and large, a very impressive win for Michigan State. Jordan Simmons, another guy who we've talked about a little bit, catches a 14-yard screen pass for a touchdown. Trey Mosley, a guy who I thought was probably going to be the fourth or fifth wide receiver coming into this game. I had Montori Foster personally is my third wide receiver selection. Possibly was thinking maybe Terry Lockett factors in, Cade McDonald. He has four catches for 59 yards. Didn't see a lot of Jalen Naylor, two receptions for 20 yards, and I think that made this win so much more delectable for Michigan State because arguably your best receiver, either him or Jaden Reed, really was a non-factor. But Give credit to where credit is due for Northwestern. Hunter Johnson, who in 2019 just looked like he didn't belong on a Division I stage with a 46% completion percentage and three touchdowns to five interceptions, looked like a completely different kid. Looked like the five-star recruit that Clemson wanted all those years ago. 30 of 43 for 283 yards and three scores. If he plays like that, Northwestern's going to be a force to be reckoned with later on in the year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are talking about a lot of people that didn't watch the game, and you can tell they didn't watch the game based off how they talk about the game, but a lot of people that didn't watch the game are talking about Northwestern is going to be a really bad team this year, and there's a chance they might, because there were a lot of holes on that team. Their backside help was nowhere to be found ever in that game, which really helped Kenneth Walker to have a lot of big plays. Part of that is on Walker, but part of it is on the, there was no help anywhere for Northwestern defensively, but Hunter Johnson looked good, and you knew he had the talent. I mean, he was a five-star quarterback that played at Clemson, and this isn't playing at Clemson 15 years ago. This is playing at Clemson two years ago during their dynasties. He has all the talent there, and if he can put it together, 
they're going to be really solid. And the Big Ten West is wide open right now. Yeah, I mean, Zach hits the nail on the head. Iowa, Iowa looked really, really good against Indiana, but Wisconsin looked like a train wreck, couldn't move the ball against Penn State. Illinois, I think, needs to be voted out of the Big Ten. Nebraska's on life support, as always, and Purdue's Purdue. There's just not a lot of... There's not a lot of disparity on that side specifically, but I was impressed with him. I was impressed with the pocket composure. I was impressed with the fact that after he got down 21 to nothing, there was no panic. There was no pressing. There was no, I have to get 10 points back in one play. He was methodical. He was efficient. And there was a lot of arm strength. And there was a lot of really good accuracy on the deep ball. Those 50-50 balls that he was throwing up to Steven Robinson and Bryce Kurtz and all these guys... He put it where only they could get it. Because a couple of those long balls weren't horrible coverage. You know, the Ronald Williams play in the first quarter wasn't great coverage. Clyde Gervin play wasn't great coverage. But there were a lot of instances that you can point to where it's like, that's NFL talent right there, being able to fit a ball in that tight of a window. Yeah, I mean, Johnson just definitely wouldn't count out this Northwestern team. I mean, the guy still threw for... 283 yards and three touchdowns on just 30 completions. Um, and, you know, that's – I think he's he's going to have a good year. He is. Um, and I think this Northwestern team has the potential to maybe finish middle of the pack in the Big Ten, I would say. Um, so, yeah, definitely wouldn't write them off just yet. No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I, I think they showed – what they can be a lot better in the second half. Because after that 21 to nothing lead that Michigan State jumped out to in the first half, it was a very even game. It was a very, very... If Northwestern does it, only falls behind 14 to 7, this could be a different talk we're having. They move the ball quite well, but the bottom line is you lose your starting two linebackers, you lose cornerback, you lose so much. You don't really do a lot in the transfer portal, unlike Michigan State. You bring in Steven Robinson, but Stefan Robinson. But other than that, there's just not a lot of guys that they brought in. And Northwestern's a school that traditionally doesn't recruit very well. If you go by the 247 com- composite sports ratings, which is considered the gold standard for recruiting analysis, they bring in the 11th rated class below Michigan State, who brings in the 10th rated class. So they're going to take some time to gel. It's just going to it's gonna take time, but you have your quarterback. And frankly, Evan Hole had a good game too. He's got some burst to him. He's got some good vision. He runs low to the ground. So there's enough there. And then you add in Pat Fitzgerald, who in my opinion is probably the second best coach in all the Big Ten. Maybe Kirk Ferentz, but I want to lean toward Fitzgerald just because Northwestern was so bad for so long before he got there and they never had a history of being any good. Um... I think this is a bowl team still. I really do. I think Michigan State just went on the road and beat a bowl team. One quick thing, sir. I I realize 30 completions is a, is a lot. I misspoke when I said he threw just 30 completions. I mean, he had a heck of a day. Rule number one of radio champion, when you screw up, you never mention it. Because 99% <laughs> of the time, people will never know. I don't want to sound like an idiot. I didn't even notice it, if we're being 100% <laughs> honest. And I'm sitting here with headphones on. <laughs> I, I, I didn't notice it either, but no, I know exactly what you got me. <laughs> the only area of concern for me, and I was going to go around and, you know, ask you guys where, where you're concerned. I'm a little bit worried about the secondary still. 
I wasn't a big fan of giving up the go route balls because that's not that's not anything exotic. A go route literally is you're running 40, 50 yards in the air and you're just running right by a guy. That's all that happened. Like Ronald Williams and Kalan Gervin were getting run by. And you can't give up two 40-yard passes against very many teams without putting yourself in a little bit of a hole. So I need to see more from the secondary. I also think that you need to settle on some cornerbacks. If you want to roll with Ronald Williams and Kalan Gervin going forward, go ahead. If you want to roll with Michael Dowell and Angelo Gross on the backside, go ahead. But that doesn't mean I want Ronald Williams and Kalan Gervin and, I don't know, give me a corner. And Charles Brantley and Chester Kimbrough and all of these other guys. Kari Crump, Marquis Lowry. Same thing with the offensive line. Talking to Mel, he said, going forward, you probably can see Blake Buter. You might expect to see Matt Carrick, Nick Samak, and Luke Campbell. You don't need to be rotating in nine offensive linemen, especially at set center, especially center, especially if it based on what I saw that starting five needs to be from right to left are Curie Jarvis, Allen, Duplain, and horse. I know you didn't see a big drop off, but I think those are the five guys that give you the best chance of winning going forward. And they have the most experience. That's another big thing. Yeah. I mean, with that offensive line, you mentioned we didn't see a drop-off between those guys, and that's true. But Northwestern is not the most experienced and not the most fearsome front group that you're going to see throughout this run. Michigan State's going to get a faster, stronger front next weekend when they go down to Miami. And throughout the Big Ten schedule, that offensive line is going to have to be able to hold up. And you mentioned at center, with Samak and Allen both there like that, both of those guys seemed well with Thorne and worked well with Thorne. But can that continue? Because you saw it with Northwestern. A bobbled snap, a snap thrown over his head. You can't do that and win games. Those are things that can cost you games. I just, I'm curious to see where they go from here. because And we'll get into this in a little bit. But with Youngstown State coming up, that's the epitome of a trap game, not in the sense that you would lose the game, but in a sense of you're still walking high from last week. You you sort of a la just scoot by Youngstown State and then you go against Miami and get clobbered. I look at it 2019 against Tulsa. You went 28 to seven. You don't play good at all. I mean, that was an ugly for that was the first game I went to as a Michigan State student in the stands, and it was an ugly game. Like, everybody left that game, not, oh, we won by three scores, but my God, we're doing this again. Miss blocks, miss assignments, penalties, blown coverages, running in the wrong hole, all like all elementary stuff. Good teams can't take two steps back after taking one step forward. And I, I'm just really curious to see where they go from here. I'm curious to see what the rotation is. But there's more excitement around this program. There's more juice around this program than I think there has been in a long time. Moving into some Big Ten topics, ranked Penn State wins in the Ugly Bowl over ranked Wisconsin 16-10. to I didn't know what else to call this game because it was the Ugly Bowl. Not quite as much as Georgia and Clemson, but we were driving back, actually. I'm driving through Chicago, and Zach's giving me updates every 15 minutes. Oh, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and it was awesome. Like, like when we drive to Bloomington or Purdue or whatever, you're going to be the game chauffeur because he did a very good job 
Very good job at it. Michigan clobbers Western Michigan. I love how everybody, like Bob Wojanowski, I don't know if you guys know U of M columnist, called Western's Michi Michigan. I know it's Western. I know it's Western Michigan, but I thought Michigan did a good job stopping Western Michigan's high octane offense. High octane offense? They're a perennial six win max school. Like I know they're a thirty five point a game, but it's easy to score thirty five points a game when you're school when you're playing Ohio and Bowling Green and Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan and everything. The Michigan fanboys are going to be out in full effect if they beat Washington, and they should after Washington's giant <laughs> against Montana. Wow, that is a bad loss for Illinois. I wrote, "Holy crap, that's a bad loss for Illinois because it is UTSA, the University of Texas at San Antonio." Brett Bielema, what are you doing? And I just, I'm watching the game and I'm sitting there with the biggest smile on my face because if Mel Tucker doesn't accept the job, that's your head coach, Michigan State. That's the guy who you're going to be watching. That, all I can think of when I think of UTSA is NCAA football 14. They're like, they're the road runners. They're one of those tiny schools. That's one of your schools that you start your dynasty at. That's not a school you lose to if you're in the Big Ten. Unless you're facing someone playing a video game. You don't lose to UTSA. That one, that's tough. Horrible. Horrible. It's like after you, does this mean UTSA is better than Nebraska by the transitive property or something? Like I didn't pay attention to much in algebra in high school, but I think, I think that's what it means. I don't even know that you need the transitive property. I mean, Nebraska is bad. And uh, I'm going to regret saying that when they inevitably beat Michigan State by five touchdowns uh, at Spartan Stadium after I'm saying this on the podcast. Oh, if they, if they lose to Michigan State, if Michigan State loses by five touchdowns, I'm going on a hunger strike. <laughs> Granted, it would take a couple months before you'd see any results, but still. You like, know, yeah, my, my point was Nebraska's not good, and they have not been good, and they have not looked good. UTSA is, I mean, UTSA, they're... They beat Illinois. Illinois barely beat Nebraska. Illinois is not a great football team. Now, I don't, I'll be 100% honest with you. I didn't watch that game. Was Brandon Peters back for that game or was no, it, uh, it was, Sikowski? Uh, it was still Sikowski. So Sikowski looked really good against Nebraska, but this is also the same guy that had, I believe, two touchdowns and eight picks in his starting when career he, before when he was this at season. Rutgers, he was horrible. Yeah. yeah. And so, did you expect him to come out and be. Trevor Lawrence or no, but you expect to beat UTSA. Well, yes, and, and you also yes. don't want to give up thirty-seven points to UTSA. The Roadrunners—they're just too quick. Get out! <laughs> Get out! But <laughs> in other news, Ohio State, Nebraska, Cruz, Nebraska, Nebraska beats the living tar out of Fordham, fifty-two to seven. Ohio State. After looking mortal against Minnesota, wins 45-31. to That's the game in which Minnesota running back Muhammad Ibrahim gets hurt and is out for the year. That's the scary thing about Ohio State. And I we say this every single time. C.J. Stroud in the first half looked mortal. You saw a an Ohio State team who I think could feel the pressure a little bit. And mind you, Minneapolis is a tough place to play. Minnesota is a very good home crowd advantage. And you saw the experience by Tanner Morgan. You saw Ibrahim making a difference. But that was a game which I think everybody who knows anything about football could say, yeah, that wasn't Ohio State's best game. I could have seen Ohio State playing a little bit better. And they still score 45. And they still score 45. When this team plays well, look out. And I, 
it's just going to be fun watch, see, watching C.J. Stroud pants the Michigan State secondary for the next three to four years. But, you know, I, I just I, I don't know who's beating Ohio State this year. Purdue obviously beats Oregon State 30-21. to Maryland beats West Virginia 30-24. to Is it just me or does it seem like Maryland beats like two decent Power 5 teams? Like every year they get ranked like number 20 and then just fall off a cliff. We kind of talked about that on the way back, I think. We were talking about when they scored like 70 on somebody a couple years ago. They always look so good in the beginning of the year. And then they just stop like they score it feels like they score more points in their first two games than they score the entire rest of the year combined well they scored yeah i'm looking at the 2019 schedule 79 to nothing over howard but the game that really put them on the mat was that 63 to 21 over syracuse but it'll be curious to see how maryland does i think we're all waiting for their inevitable crash and burn and the battle of the ranked opponents, Indiana gets spanked by Iowa 34 to 6. Spencer Petrus looks like Michael Penix. Michael Penix looked like Spencer Petrus. I'm not ready to write off Indiana at all just yet, but I didn't see Michael Penix look fully healthy that game. I don't know if he's still dealing with something, but that was an ugly game. Yeah, I mean, Kinnick's not fun uh, to play at if you're an opposing team. Um, but I mean, Penix didn't even, he got benched, right? Like he didn't finish the game. No, he didn't. Cause he was so bad. So yeah. like, I don't know what to expect from them. I thought they were going to be the second, the clear number two in the big 10 East. And I thought they were going to be closer to Ohio state than they were to the rest of the pack. And so, um, my predictions had to take a little bit of a step back on that one. Cause Iowa just dominated them from start to finish and, it is going to be very interesting to see how they respond, but I think they're a very well-coached team, and they've got enough talent that I think they can respond and will respond. Now we get to the favorite part of the podcast. This was a tradition that was started before SRZ hosts like me. Ryan Collins did it. Joe Dandron did it. Eric Bach did it. Joey Ellis did it. And now it is my turn to do it. The SRZ, Brett Bielema, Offensive Player of the Week. I go with thirteen, the 13 offensive linemen that played for Michigan State. And I'm going to attempt to name all 13. I know I won't be able to, but I am going to at least attempt. AJR Curie, Matt, or, let, yeah, I know Carrick played. AJR Curie, J.D. Duplain, Matt Allen, I said J.D. Duplain, Kevin Jarvis, J.D. Uh, Jarrett Horst, Luke Campbell, Nick Samak, Matt Carrick, Spencer Brown, Dan Vanupstall, Luke Campbell. That might have been it. I don't know if he said 12 or 13. I counted 13, but I'm the guy who almost flunked high school algebra in high school, whatever. They're double-digit offensive linemen. I don't think James Ohanba got in. I don't think Dallas Fincher got in. But, oh, my God, there are so many offensive linemen. Unleash the Hogmalis. Unleash the Hogmalis. I loved watching Chris Kaplovich, Jay Johnson, and Mel Tucker unleash the Hogmalis. Yeah, I mean, he talked about wanting to uh, rotate offensive linemen. That's not how this goes, Zach. You have to pick your offensive player of the week. <laughs> oh, This okay. is how this goes. Well, I didn't you know that. bloody uh, rookie, you. Yeah, I guess, fired. I'll, I guess I'll take the easy one and leave champion out. Uh, I'll go Kenneth Walker. Um, we already talked about that but offensive player of the week i think it's really hard and i'll do it because he didn't win national offensive player of the week um according to one of the things i saw they gave it to uh the texas running back Bijan robinson yeah. yeah and uh kenneth walker 
264 yards, four touchdowns in control whenever he touched the ball. Um, they talked about it at the beginning of the year. Connor Hayward at media availability came up and asked a question to uh, Kenneth Walker and said, what's your best trait? Before he could even answer, he said, home run. Every time he touches the ball, it's a home run, and it sure looked like it. It did. It did, and I uh, see, this is kind of how it normally went with Eric and Joe and myself. I would pick something completely stupid and off the wall. Aaron would pick something realistic. Joe wouldn't even show up half the time, <laughs> and Collins would also pick something semi-serious. Collins was kind of the, the middle tier. Aiden, over to you, buddy boy. I... I'm going to go with Reed. Uh, Reed had a great game, and, you know, this guy comes back with high expectations, and he he was definitely, I would say, the best returner on the field uh, in terms of the offense this week. You guys do know you're allowed to pick people that didn't well, play. Well, I was going to ask that. I was going to say, I didn't know. You... Okay, if, okay, then I would <laughs> – I can't believe you want me to tell you how to wipe your butt too while you're at it, boy. Well, do you really? Okay, in that case, do you really mean the the Michigan State offensive lines really your overall offensive player of the week? Well, I could be stupid. I've been here long enough to be stupid. Mine was original. I don't know what yours was. I picked okay, fifteen guys. Mine would you be one. Mine would be Mc- Mackenzie Milton. Is mine. Absolutely, going with the crowd favorite, the SRZ Brian Kelly defensive player of the week. I put the Noah Harville, the Noah Harvey photos I can't use anymore. Aiden's going to get this joke. Zach's going to have no idea. So every story that we ah, every story that we write at the station, got tongue twister. There's some sort of photo that we use in conjunction with MSU athletic communications with MSU athletic communications being so kind and so generous to us. I spent a lot of time in the summer uploading a lot of photos and trying to find a lot of photos of Michigan State football players that I thought were going to contribute this year and were going to contribute in future years just because I wanted to get past the days of where we have three stock photos of a player and we just keep using them over and over and over again. Um, I put quite a few photos of Noah Harvey because I expected to write a little bit about him this year. There's like 20 photos of Nora, Noah Harvey that I got, but I can't use them if he doesn't see the field. <laughs> I, I can't use them if he's holding a clipboard. I, I can't use them if he's guarding the water fountain from Nick, from Cravaris Crouch and Ben Van Sumer. And so, I uh, big thanks to Noah Harvey and for rendering my work this summer completely useless. I know it's hard to top that. I know. I know. <laughs> um. I'm sorry. What is the topic? What are, are defensive we? player? Of the defensive. Week. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fired. Because <laughs> you you started off with I'm going to make a joke, and then I was like, Well, I'm telling <laughs> jokes. What's the deal? <laughs> but um, uh, my defensive player of the week uh would be Crouch. Um, this guy came in had uh, <laughs> Stern's giving me the thumbs down right now, but um. You know, he came in and he he made some great tackles and uh I was I was just really proud of his performance. Um I'm gonna we're, go we're proud you're his dad or something. <laughs> Good job, sonny boy. Let's go to Dairy Queen and get an ice cream after this. Is Matt, that what you're saying? Matt Stearns is just roasting today. Well, this is kinda how it goes. <laughs> just roasting everybody. I'm gonna take Riley Moss from Iowa. 
Uh, two pick sixes off of Michael Penix, who we talked about wasn't his greatest day. But anytime you can get two pick sixes, scoring two touchdowns on the defensive side of the ball, it's always going to be a good day for you. And this is a category I've never personally understood. This was something that was started by Joey Ellis, a guy who, oh boy, when did he leave here? Aiden, you'll remember, you remember him, right? The the, the glorious Joey Ellis mm-hmm. had the, the sun-drenched skin from California. I went to The most school beautiful Joey. tennis player and the most beautiful man to ever walk through these doors. <laughs> if you can't tell, I have a Joey, a Joey Ellis man crush. But... The Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Friend Unit of the Week. I never understood what this category was. I just kind of BS it on a week-to-week basis, and I never understood the, jo- the Joey Ellis Memorial part because Joey isn't dead, at least not that I know of. Joey, if you're dead, I'm sorry. Please don't smite me. Um, I'm going to go with Ren Hefley for Presbyterian. 538 passing yards, 10, 1 0, 10, not 1, 10, passing touchdowns for Presbyterian. Presbyterian, and they scored 84 points. All fear the blue hoses. That's the best mascot ever. Just take a giant green garden hose, spray paint it blue, and you got yourself the Presbyterian mascot. That was an awesome performance. You can go ahead, Zach. I gotta think on this one for a second. Um, I've been going kind of back and forth, but this is what I'm thinking because I don't know the category and doesn't sound like it's just random. So I'm going to go with Gus Johnson's nicknames. Uh, that is exactly what this category is about. <laughs> you get, uh, I just, I can hear it in my head uh, watching the Ohio State Minnesota game and uh, Haskell Garrett gets a touchdown after a strip sack that changes the game and you just hear Gus Johnson scream, Haskell the rascal. Was this before or after he said he was shot in the face? That was the- I think it was right before. It was like the same call. <laughs> he went from Haskell to Rascal to this is a guy that was shot in the face. <laughs> it's like, okay, Gus, someone's a little too ecstatic right now. Lay uh, off the Adderall, buddy boy. <laughs> Gus Johnson always makes the game interesting, though, whether it's football or basketball. Well, I wish I had a funny, humorous <laughs> take, but uh, I know I keep going back to Michigan State, and I'd I forgot on defensive player of the week that I could choose anybody, but um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna be boring and say Walker. I just think it's outstanding that you have the game you have and score four touchdowns in your first game with a Big Ten team, and I mean that's just definition of powerhouse right there. Powerhouse chips. New- Powerhouse Gym, sponsored by Kenneth Walker with the new NLI laws. <laughs> so we move on from that this week in the Big Ten. We're just going to go over a list of a couple of the more intriguing games. Illinois travels out to Virginia, Miami of Ohio heading out to Indianapolis, Indiana State going to Northwestern. The big one at the shoe. When What is the game? Two, I think? Or is it noon? I think it's a uh, big noon kickoff. Okay. Oregon travels to Ohio State. Rutgers travels to Syracuse. Purdue travels to UConn, fresh off of their wonderful loss to Holy Cross. Buffalo Didn't travels to Nebraska. Quit? Yeah, I did. Just retired. Bye bye. I think he. I thought he like said that he was going to retire at the end of the year, and then just stepped moved down. up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when done. you lose to Holy Cross, your retirement date gets moved up a few months. <laughs> Buffalo, Nebraska. I think Buffalo wins that game. Yeah. Iowa and Iowa State. That's going to be a beautiful game. The battle for the heartland. Michigan travels to Washington after Washington loses to isn't that, FCS Montana. Isn't that what, game at the Big House? 
No, I thought it was. What? I thought last year was supposed to be at Washington. Oh, it's at the big house. Oh, well, I'm fired. <laughs> we all have gotten fired in this podcast. That's the yeah. takeaway of the day. It is at the big house. But I, did I put, I thought they were going to Washington. Anyway, don't listen to me. Eastern <laughs> Michigan goes to Wisconsin. This, the fighting Chris Creighton's face, the fighting Paul Christ's. Idaho goes to Indiana. And Howard goes to Maryland. Maryland beat the brakes off Howard two years ago, as we previously mentioned. Don't really care about any of these games. The big game that I think we're interested in is the game that we are going to talk about for the next 10 to 15 minutes. You're not it excited is... for Iowa, Iowa State? I want to I want to get through one broadcast without being thrown in the North Tower dungeon. Thanks, <laughs> Northwestern Athletics. That's what I want to do. I'm more excited to actually have a broadcast where I don't have to worry if we have a stable Ethernet connection. We like, didn't. <laughs> I know. I talked to Luke after the thing. It's like, yeah, no, that, our internet over here only went out for about 10 seconds. So I think you guys just had a lot of problems with the ethernet. So that was fun. I mean, we were off champions hotspot, so we it wouldn't really surprise me too <laughs> but much But on the bright side, on the bright side, I've heard back from Miami and I've heard back from Rutgers and we should be all set going get forward. It. Youngstown State, the fighting penguins. They're not the fighting penguins, but I. They should be. I call them the penguins. That <laughs> no, is such hot- a. It's not even a hot take. Fear the penguins. They need to be the fighting penguins. No, they need to be the fighting Jim Trestles. That's my vote. <laughs> no, bro, get like the Happy Feet logo and just like put some boxing gloves on it. <laughs> the penguin from Happy Feet. That's their new mascot. You know, Michigan State has like an in-person boxing class. Joanne was telling me about it earlier today, where it's a one-credit class where all you do is like you spar with people, and then like at the end of the course, you just go three rounds beating the living tar out of each yeah, other. Yeah. So oh. I was actually I was talking before the broadcast about the golf class that i'm in and two of the people that were in my group that i was golfing with today are in that boxing class next semester and so they were talking about it it's like an, you go to like an off-campus gym and yeah pretty much what stern said it, it, it is amazing the best class <laughs> i ever took the best elective i should say was being able to walk around jenison Fieldhouse, the floor of jenison Fieldhouse, for 45 minutes they called it, or what was it? Called? It was called power walking. How did you not die of heat exhaustion in Jenison Fieldhouse? Because you're it's walking. Like, yeah, but like it's fifty thousand degrees in there. I was but you're walking. It, the class was the class was power walking. Yeah, I was calling <laughs> volleyball in there a couple weeks ago, and I was sweating like crazy just standing there. I was wearing a t-shirt and shorts and walking very slowly. That's true. I guess I was in a suit for a broadcast, so that so, makes sense. We get to Youngstown State. Every other opponent that Michigan State will face for the rest of the year, even the fighting Scott Frosts, um, they're either a Power 5 team or they're a non-con that has had some degree of success. They're a non-Power 5 school, i.e. Western Kentucky. This game, I think, is the only game this entire year where you go, if Michigan State doesn't win by 40, something went horribly wrong. If Michigan State doesn't make Youngstown State Go back to Youngstown crying. Something did not go horribly. Something went horribly wrong. And this is the beautiful thing about podcasts. I don't have to be as professional on this as I do have to be on the air. Youngstown State's not a good football team. Let's call a spade a spade. Youngstown State's not a good football team. When you give up 41 points and 350 passing yards to a Division II school that only went 3-3 three and three last year, Incarnate Word, I checked, is in some conference called the Southland Conference. They're an average Division II school. And it took your kicker making a 41-yard field goal. It's time expired just to get to that point. Um, Youngstown State's coming off a 1-6 year. Youngstown State season ended in late April. Um, 
this is not your Jim Trestle Youngstown State Penguins. And for those of you who don't know, Jim Trestle, former longtime Ohio State head coach, was the head coach at Youngstown State for an approximately a 15-year period from 1986 to 2000-2001, won four national championships. At that time, they were in the FCS, like they are now. They used to call it the like Division I AA League before they transitioned to FCS. They were good. They were the North Dakota State before North Dakota State, in essence. But other than Jaleel McLaughlin, who ran for 240 yards and four scores, the leading rusher for Youngstown State, and Demetri Crenshaw, who's a good multi-threat, dual threat quarterback 20 carries for 81 yards but only attempted 12 passes just doing the pre-prep for this game this is this game just shouldn't be close this just should be this should be a bloodbath what i'm looking forward to is the what should be inevitable appearance of anthony russo if there's a blowout through Mm. she's i don't know should be the first half but um i think I mean, it's more than likely we'll see Russo take the field if if that's the case, and um, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do um, in uh, in his first Michigan State appearance because obviously this has just been you know such a significant quarterback battle throughout the season, and I know the fans uh, will love to see what he's got, yeah, uh, what he's capable of. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about it like that. I'm the thing I'm looking forward to most. This is obviously a much lower level, but you've got a dual threat quarterback and you've got a quarterback that has a lot of running ability. That's something they're going to see at Miami next week in Derek King. So how do you prepare for that type of quarterback and what do you work with? Because obviously that's a very different defensive game plan than we saw for Northwestern and Hunter Johnson, who's a traditional big armed sit back in the pocket and throw it for a thousand yards. It's almost a scout teamwork is what it is. It's yeah. almost they, they do have similar, they they do have similar uh, sets. But they're both athletic. They're both can extend plays with their legs. But biggest thing for me, first of all, I want to see the rotation dwindled a little bit. I think it's unrealistic to say you're going to have 25 guys and that's going to be it. But I don't want to see how you know 11 offensive linemen. Let's go for eight. I don't want to see six linebackers. Maybe let's go for four or five. At the end of the day. And I, I know I call Mel Tucker the king of coach speak, but sometimes I think I am too. But it's very true. If you roll out of bed, put your uniforms on 30 minutes before kickoff and just show up, you'll probably win. You're just that much stronger, that much bigger, and frankly, that much more well-coached than Youngstown State is. But it's not going to hurt you this week. It's going to hurt you next week. Because at the end of the day, if you go out and it's the third quarter and you're only winning 21 to 10, everything good that you did against Northwestern is gone now. And you got to start back over. And that's what's been so frustrating with this football team, especially last year. You took one step forward and then four steps back. You beat Michigan and then just didn't show up against Iowa. Didn't show up against Indiana. You beat Northwestern. Then you look really good for one half against Penn State, and then the wheels come off. So if Michigan State wants to get to where they want to be as an upper-tier Big Ten team, is a team contending for regular season championships, is a team that at one time went to the college football playoff, one of, God, I mean, I don't know how many teams off the top of my head, but I know it's in the single digits, they're part of, a, part of an exclusive club in that right. If they want to get back to that, you can't take this game lightly. 
because at the end of the day, good teams don't take one step forward, two steps back. You get 1% better every day. You continue to improve. You shore things up. It's not about what Youngstown State does. It's about what you do. If you go out there, execute the game plan, make the right reads, make the right cuts, run the right routes, it should be a very successful game. It should be a very fun game. It's the first game back with fans in hundreds of days. I mean, what? It's been since last, oh boy, November, December of 2019. I think the last game was that Maryland game that I remember calling, and I felt kind of weird because Maryland's quarterback at the time, Josh Jackson, was a guy who I played high school football with. But it, it should be an ugly game. It really should. But at the same token, you have to remember Youngstown State's coming into this game with house money. It's easy to play when nobody's expecting anything of you because if you sit there and lay an egg, people are going to say, oh, that's what was supposed to happen. We didn't expect anything different. You can't make people upset if they have no expectations for you in the first place. All the pressure is resting with Michigan State. And if they come out and they're slow and they're lackadaisical and there's a little bit of a hangover, as we saw last year, so many times off of a big win, I think that Michigan win, I think that Northwestern win, Miami in a week could get ugly. Could get real ugly. Yeah, I think that got to keep the pedal to the metal. Tucker mentioned that he thinks his team's going to have the biggest improvement between week one and week two. Um, and Thank if you for stealing my quote. I appreciate it. <laughs> if that's the case, that's a big, uh, that is a big thing that should result in a big win. Yeah, they just can't let up. I mean, there was, I would say that they were probably feeling a lot of pressure last week uh, going into their season opener, especially with, uh, with an in-conference competition and now there's like kind of a weight lifted after you've gotten your first win and um you know you're playing a very um inferior opponent and you just can't let up well i said this last year you know and i know you guys weren't on the podcast but eric and joe and collins will attest to this i think that's what undid mark a lot was you saw what his heights were you're winning Rose Bowls. You're winning Cotton Bowls. You're going to the college football playoff. You're winning Big Ten championships. You're going toe-to-toe with Urban Meyer at the height of Ohio State's excellence with Cardell Jones and JT Barrett and all these other guys. You go from that, from showing that you have the ability, the innate ability to coach three stars, turn them into five stars, and contend and be one of the four or five best teams in the country to be in a 6-6 six and six team that has one of the 15 worst offenses in Division One, With good games with strong performances comes expectation. And when you show that you can do your very best, like they did against Northwestern, there's no reason they can't do that again. They show that they can do it. When you don't do that, people are going to get frustrated because it's like, well, you did it once, you know, you got lightning in a bottle once, why can't you get lightning in a bottle again? That's the bottom line. This isn't a, this isn't about winning or losing against Youngstown State. This is more than a win. This is about taking this game you know, and putting it on the ladder, you know, putting that wooden plank on the ladder to get to where you want to be. If you want to be a 7-8 win team, you'll beat this team. You'll be 2-0, okay? But problem is, you, you, you roll over, you got Miami coming up, you can't take lightly. Nebraska is going to be fighting, or is going to be fighting for their coach's job. You don't think that if Scott Frost lays an egg against Buffalo and then lays an egg in Oklahoma, I think they're down in Norman. I think they are at least. I know Zach, you'd know better than me, but I think they're down in Norman. If they go to East Lansing 1-3, and three, 
Frost and that team, because they're not oblivious, are going to know we're going to be fighting for our head coach's job. And then Western Kentucky, who's one of the better mid-major schools. And then, obviously, conference play starts when you go on the road to Rutgers, on the road to Indiana. you got to keep improving. But with that being said, you go go in, do your work. Um, you know what Kim, I hope, plays. I hope Faye plays, because this is a game for some younger players to get some really good experience. You have the four-game window for red shirts, so I think you might see some Keon Coleman. You might see some Geno Vandermark, some Anthony Boyd, some Charles Brantley, those kind of guys. But biggest thing is you just got to settle on your starting offensive linemen and linebackers. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. It's going to be fun. Zach and I are going to be on the call for that before we head out to Miami. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, rock and roll, hard rock, 9 o'clock in the morning. All right, boys, let's go to the hotel. Um <laughs> Now we move into the pickup. This is my favorite part because I finished second last year. I finished second last year. I was really good for a really long time, and then everybody just tanked. Joe Dandron, who never put any effort into anything related to the podcast or work sometimes in general, finishes first. Collins was horrible, and Eric and I were kind of 1A and 1B, or I guess it'd be 2A, 2B. Starting off, Youngstown State. They are not favored, as you can imagine, Michigan State 20 and a half point favorites against the Penguins. Give me the Spartans. Give me the Spartans. I don't think this is a very, I think this is a weird line. Um, If Michigan State only wins by 21, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be really mad because at the end of the day, this is a Youngstown State team who's coming off a one and six season, who has a new head coach with no head coaching experience, their head coach. Former was the former Cincinnati running backs coach, former Cincinnati special teams coordinator. I think this is an easy cover for Michigan State. I got Michigan State covering. I'll take Michigan State too. Some of the lines with Michigan State have been really weird. Um, like I think the Miami game for next week, MSU is like a sixteen point underdog. Um, and I think that's interesting. So I think Vegas still hasn't really decided what they think of Michigan State yet. The other one that I had to include from the state of Michigan, other than obviously Michigan, the fighting Chris Creighton's down 25 and a half as they travel to Camp Randall to take on Wisconsin. Give me Wisconsin to win, but Eastern Michigan to cover. Eastern Michigan is not a bad football team anymore. There was a time when Eastern Michigan was beating Illinois, was beating Rutgers, was beating Purdue, was slowly chopping off the lower tiers of the Big Ten from a competitive aspect. They're not going to beat Wisconsin, but they're also a well-coached team. And after Sunday's bleep, or yeah, it was Saturday's bleep show against Penn State, I'm not sure Wisconsin can score 25 points against anybody. So I'm going to go with the Eagles, not to win, but to cover. I think 25 and a half is pretty large, uh, especially um, the performance they're coming off of, like you said. Stearns, and again, I'm not trying to piggyback on you, but... Um, Riding yeah, my I, coattails, Aiden, just like you have been. It's okay. okay. We love you anyway. Eastern Michigan covering. Yeah, well, I'm taking Wisconsin. Um, Graham Mertz is a very talented quarterback. We saw that all of last season. He was really, really good at the start of last season, then he got hurt. But I think that uh, he's going to come back, have a big game. I do agree Eastern Michigan is a good squad, but Wisconsin's going to be mad, and I think they cover. This is where we go the other way. Aided, it's Utah. Utah. Seven and a half point favorites goes down to Provo to take on BYU. Mr. Spets, sports editorial assistant, take it away. 
I definitely have Utah covering here. I think that's kind of a ridiculous spread, but I don't know. That might just be me. Zach, you gonna go, or are you just gonna sit there twiddling your thumbs? No, I was it's trying okay. to uh, trying to find BYU's game from last week. Arizona beat Arizona twenty four to sixteen. Okay, and um, Arizona. Yeah, uh, that game's at BYU. It's always gonna be close. Um, give me, give me the Cougars. Give me BYU. I'm not to win necessarily, but. To cover I'm on the exact same wavelength as you, Zach. I, Utah's just such a weird place to play. I don't know what it is about, like, teams that just go up in the mountains and just kind of, like, lose their way. You remember that Holes movie when you'd watch in fifth grade and there's that guy that, like, I saw a refuge on God's slum, and then there's the, there's the onion field and Hector Zeroni and kissing Kate Barlow and all this other crap. That's kind of what I'm thinking here. I'm going to go with BYU. I I could see them pulling this out. Utah's not a traditionally high-scoring team. So it's nice to see a little bit of diversity in our picks right here. Iowa at Iowa State, the battle for the corn. Throw it over to you, Zach Serdnick. Um, I'm going to take the Hawkeyes here. I really like Iowa State. Um, and this could come back to bite me because I think Iowa State with Brees Hall and with Purdy still the quarterback there, right? Yes. Okay. Want to make sure before I said that. But, uh, yeah, he, those two guys there have a lot of potential to put up a lot of points. But I like what this Iowa team is building, and I like this group. I think Petrus is strong. They've got some good weapons there. Uh, give me the Hawkeyes. I also have the Hawkeyes. Um, and I mean, Iowa State, they just, they only won 16 and 10 against Northern Iowa. And if I, I was looking at this earlier, I think uh, Iowa State was only held to just a field goal in the second half. So, especially um, after Iowa's performance last week, I, I give it to the Hawkeyes. We'll go three for three. I wanted to spite you guys, but I can't go in good conscience with my superior football intellect. I got to go with the Hawkeyes here, too. This just seems like a game that Ferentz wins. Iowa is one of the most underrated football programs, I think, in the country. And it seems like every two or three years, they are the best team in the Big Ten West. Like, there's always some, it, it always seems like it's them and Wisconsin taking turns. Minnesota squirms their way in once in a great while. Purdue's. There once in a while, Northwestern's been there recently, but historically, it also seems like Iowa State last year took some lumps on the offensive end, as did Iowa, but they, Iowa State normally starts the season off pretty well, pretty slow, excuse me as well, I gotta go with the Hawkeyes. Only to be fair, I will start it off Oregon, 14-point underdogs at the shoe against Ohio State, no, Ohio State's not ranked number 13th, I don't know why I put that. I'm going with the Buckeyes. I just, the reason why, again, Nathan's bragging hour, why I did as good as I did against S in SRZ was there were three teams I never picked against. Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. It's a pretty safe bet. In the, in, in the, the woodshed, the horseshoe is the real woodshed, mind you. Spartan Stadium is not the real woodshed compared to uh, the horseshoe down in Columbus, Fans are going to be nuts. This is a hard, hard, hard game for Oregon to go into. 
even if Oregon's there late, you saw how Ohio State can score, can score in a score in a hurry with sort of that air raid West Coast esque offense. That margin of victory, the forty five to thirty one win over Minnesota, it what didn't feel like a fourteen point win. It felt like a seven to ten point win. But I gotta go with Ohio State here. I just think they're too good. I, yeah, I have Ohio State covering. I think, uh, especially after. Uh, the close margin against Fresno State last week for Oregon. Um, I don't know. I don't see them sticking around in the top 20 for long. Yeah, I'm going to take Ohio State as well. There's a lot of unknowns for this Oregon team. We don't know if Thibodeau is going to play on that inside edge. He's a potential number one overall draft pick next season, but he got hurt, and he was in a walking boot in the second half of their game against Fresno State. And I think this Ohio State team is just too talented. Like, those wide receivers were running with 30 feet of space. Chris Olave. Yeah, good luck stopping Chris Olave. Olave's there. Wilson's there, too, right? On that, because they had them both on the same side. And you can't stop that. And also, this is a 9 a.m. game for Oregon. Because it's a noon game in Columbus. Yeah. So they're coming from West Coast. They're coming from the West Coast. That feels like 9 a.m. for them. Give me the Buckeyes by at least two scores. All right, final game of the slate. The fighting captain khaki, six and a half point favorites against Washington. This is going to burn me to my core, and I'm going to have to go look at myself in the mirror and take a long, soulful reflection and maybe a nice little river rock walk along the Red Cedar and then a nice little walk around Lake Lansing because I'm going to pick Michigan to cover here. I, I hate doing this so much. Even without Ronnie Bell, oh my God, Washington looked so bad last week. Washington was so bad last week. Did I tell you Washington was bad last week? I don't think I mentioned that Washington was bad last week. After losing to Montana? No, we we ain't going to pick you, buddy boy. That's inexcusable. That's almost as bad as Utah, maybe worse. At least Utah was half decent last year. I think this is a game Michigan at home wins easily by double digits. And boy, I hate saying that. I, I'm going to say Washington covers and Michigan wins. Um, I think that, I mean, despite the three interceptions from Dylan Morris last week, he still had a pretty solid game in, in terms of, the box score you lost to montana <laughs> well, don't justify okay that. i think he cleans up his act and i i think it comes down to a nail biter honestly you put seven points up against montana don't justify look, that look Stearns, don't don't come crying to me when this happens <laughs> yeah um, now we're talking yeah we get spicy up in studio h <laughs> rock and roll baby i'm gonna take michigan um i don't I don't love Washington. Um, honestly, I don't love you either. <laughs> I probably would have taken. Uh, I probably would have taken Michigan even if Washington had pounded Montana because I still don't. I don't love the Pac-12, um, and I know they don't love me either, Stearns. But uh, I think Michigan wins that game by at least a touchdown. We shall see. Michigan State set to take on Youngstown State. At 12 p.m., Zach and I will have the call. Impact 89 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Excited to be in our own press box again, in our own 
beloved booth eight on that eighth floor. I wish they still, because you, you're not going to remember the days when they used to have those drinking fountains where you could get as much Dr. Pepper as you wanted. It was like one of those like self-serve stations that you get at like Subway or McDonald's or Wendy's or any of those other fast food joints. And they gave you like two free meal tickets. Now that's all gone. But, oh, man, it's going to be so good to be back. And then, obviously, we head out for Miami. And I can say we, because Zach, I, and Naden are going as well. So I can say we. It is proper. Um, one of the cardinal rules of sports journalism is you don't say we. I don't need, mean we in relation to Michigan State. I mean we as in Zach, Aiden, and I, the broadcast team. Yes. Mr. AP style. Don't forget <laughs> was the one who taught you AP style. Joanne, it wasn't me. I don't know. But anyway... It's going to be a really exciting game. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, follow me on Twitter at NathanSterns11 for all Michigan State sports news. Zach, drop your whatever. Aiden, drop your whatever really quick before I sign off. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Zach Sudenik. Um, nice and simple. You can follow me at champion underscore Aiden. Um It'll be a good week. I'm excited for this home opener. Now you got to give them your social security number, your blood type, <laughs> and your shoe size while you're at it. <laughs> All, All right, right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the latest edition of SRZ, also known as the Nathan Stearns Comedy Hour. Thank you guys for tuning in.